0: Good morning, everybody. We're gonna be in Philippians this morning. Um, If you don't have a worksheet, raise your hand and Joshua will bring one to you. Actually, I think he's gotta go get a couple more from from in the the foyer. Um, This morning, our goal is to talk about the source of a joyful heart. So we've been studying through the book of Philippians this quarter. And we've taken note a few different times about how often joy or rejoicing are mentioned. So depending on your version, um, there are at least 10 different sections or references uh, to joy or rejoicing in Philippians. If you're counting the number of times the individual words show up, It depends on your version. It's going to range potentially up to 14 times that the combination of rejoicing and joy show up. Some versions like the ESV have kind of adjusted the translation slightly uh, where they don't, I think they don't have it 12 times across 10 verses. Um, But effectively think of it as 10 verses. Some of those sections are maybe two verses long uh, that reference rejoicing and joy. One of the things I mentioned as we studied uh, a couple times is a lot of people look at um, chapter 4 maybe 4 verse 4 and say rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice and they treat that almost as a command um, they may say that to people when they are struggling or they may internalize that that I I must rejoice and potentially I think there could be some confusion around why or how we are to rejoice and, and I'll, I'll kind of shared some of the end, and then we'll look at some of the verses as as to why I think that. I think rejoicing and joy are a result. And, And sometimes we accidentally tell people to do things that result from actions or choices as opposed to telling them to do those actions or things or choices. And it gets really confusing because... I think what we're going to see as we study this together this morning is that I can't command you to have joy. In fact, that would be an inappropriate command. But instead, we can see the reasons that Paul references that either he or the Philippians were joyful, and then identify, can I take actions to have those things and do those things that lead to joy? Does that make sense? Uh, think of something as the, as the result or the end as opposed to the means. Um, and, and that if we, if we accidentally tell people to just achieve the end or tell ourselves to just achieve the end, we may actually discourage people. Instead of helping people get joy or helping ourselves access joy, we may actually discourage ourselves because we'll just walk away saying, I, sh- I don't feel this joy. I don't feel this joy that you keep telling me to have or that I keep reading I should have. And instead of encouragement, we end up with discouragement, which is the exact opposite of how Paul intends the book. So on the worksheet in front of you, you have those 10 references. Um, we're going to take time um, to look at the details of each of those and the cause or the source of that, the joy that's referenced. Um, to, to kind of give us maybe an example, let's start with the very first one in 1 verse 4. I'll read uh, verses 3 through 5 just so we have a little bit more than just verse 4. Uh, we're in Philippians uh, chapter 1 right now for those just coming in. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now... And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that we're going to do this one as a practice, so we'll kind of do this together. If you were going to say, what are the details or the context around um, Paul's mention of joy here in 1 verse 4? What are, what are some of the details or context you might mention? Say again. Yeah, praise with joy. So he's combined those. Great. That's a good detail. If you just think about its placement in the book, where is it in the book? Yeah, it's in the introduction. So this is when he's he's still kind of addressing the church. You know, one and two have a lot of that address, but I, I think that this. This section kind of continues that address. Great. So he's, he is starting his letter to them, making certain that they know about the joy that he has in praise and prayer for them. What would you say are the causes or the sources potentially of that joy? You have to look outside of verse 4. That's why we read more than that. Julius? Yes, so what Julie said, and those are the two that I have listed, is that um, in verse 5, he mentions it's because of the partnership that they have uh, in the gospel. And then also continuing just past that in verse 6, because he, Christ, will complete the work in them that he began. All right, so hopefully that seems simple enough. Um, I want to give you guys a couple minutes to do the same thing uh, with verse 18 in chapter 1 and verse 25 in chapter 1. So as you just saw, you might need to look outside of just that singular verse to get both some details and context and also the cause or the source. So we're going to take, call it two, two and a half minutes, um, read those verses and jot down details, context, case or cause and source for each. All right. Um, Joshua, do you have any more handouts? I think uh, at least uh, Rebecca probably needs one. I don't know if anybody else does. Um, All right. What did y'all see in verse 18 in that reference? Or maybe some details or context around that one. All right. So um, there are many preaching. Not always for good reasons uh, are they preaching. Um, Great. What might be some other details or context around verse 18? For example, where is Paul? Yeah, Paul's in prison. uh, And the ones that are doing things out of false motives may be doing it in order to harm him uh, while he's in prison. Great. And what's the cause or the source of of Paul's joy or rejoicing in verse 18 (laughs) yeah so the word being preached even though some are doing it wrongly or falsely Paul can have rejoicing because the gospel is being proclaimed regardless of ill intent or ill motive any other causes or sources that people noticed for that one Yeah. Yeah. Paul focuses on the gospels preached, even when it's being preached to his detriment, potentially physically, um, and when while he's in prison. Great. All right. Let's go on to verse twenty-five. Some details or context there. Yeah, yeah, so Paul is considering his circumstances. He's gone through this kind of discussion back and forth about how he would prefer to die, that that would benefit him. But for their sake, he hopes to stay uh, and, and, and to their benefit. So then in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all for your progress and joy in the faith. So I think one question we can ask is who has joy in this section? In this verse. Yeah, this this is one where he's talking about their joy in the faith. Um, Wayne? You know, I thought possibly it might be Christ will be on them. And it's not only in his body, but by their <clears throat> properties. I yes. Maybe that the Him, and he knows that the same thing's going to be with him. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great idea for the cause or source of joy. I don't think this one's as clear, just to be certain. Like, I'm not, I don't, some of these I'm like, I, I think I really know. Some of these I'm like, ah, I'm not sure. Um, I think this is one where you have to kind of look for it. And I, I, I do agree with Wayne, that there, that Christ being glorified and honored is the source of all the joy in this one, which would also support. Uh, what he said in verse 18 around the gospel continuing to be preached even if some were doing it from ill intent. Any other thoughts on the causes or source of joy in verse 25? Great. Let's go on to chapter 2. Alright, so chapter 2 has the most references of all the chapters. Um, So let's do uh, let's just do the first two right now. Two verse 2 and 217 through 18. Um, and we'll take just a couple minutes uh, so you guys can make some notes there as well. When Paul says, "Complete my joy by being of the same mind," what's the context here around Paul's joy? some details about his circumstances when he says this. We say, Julie? Details or context. He says, complete my joy. So we're talking about Paul's joy. What's the details or context around him saying, complete my joy? He's wanting the Philippians to have unity of mind Yeah, so that's the cause and the source. Um, so I think the cause and the source is he's wanting to have unity of mind. And I want to talk a little bit more. I think the cause and the source is more complicated than that. But the details, this can be a little bit repetitive. That's okay. Like, not everything's a unique answer here. It's a four-chapter book. Um, so, the details in context are, I, I don't, don't let the chapter break confuse you, right? It's not just go back to verse 1. If you look back to the end of chapter 1, sorry, chapter 2, if you look at the end of chapter 1, Paul's talking there about sacrifice, suffering, and those sorts of things. Um, and so... He, he then says, um, when we talk about this, uh, sorry, this is amidst trials. I was about to go on to 1718. So he has trials that he's dealing with. That is like the context of when he says, complete my joy. So Joshua referenced that um, he wants them to be of the same mind, which I think that is the cause and source of joy that he's wanting them to complete. But he gives them details about how to achieve that. It's not just be of one mind and agree. He tells them how, which is the way you enable this. So what's the how for them to be able to be of one mind and in full accord? Not how, or not out of selfish interest, not Yeah, he tells them, "Don't, don't be selfish. You need to care for the interests of others. Um, be like Christ. Have a sacrificial heart. Um, don't seek for yourself at all. That's how you achieve that being of one mind. Is that you're you're seeking you're seeking for others' interests, not the interests of yourself. That that's again why, like when I was talking about joy itself, is it's like an it's like an end, but there's means to which we achieve that. That's the same sort of idea here. The end is that they can be of one mind, but the means to get there is that they forego their, their own interests and their selves. Um, I think we often mistake this in discussions of unity where we tell people to agree and be united, but we ignore the fact that the way we agree and are united is that we each forego ourselves and our selfish ambitions. That's how we achieve the one mind, True. Yeah. All right. Now, 2 17 through 18. What's some more of the context here around the, the joy that Paul speaks about? The ESV, even if what? It's the very first part of verse 17. Even if what's happening to Paul? I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Yeah, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering or said differently, even if I am being sacrificed in some way. So even if I'm being sacrificed, then what? Re- that Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. <clears throat> so what is the cause or source of that joy? That Paul has. Yes. Yes, so the source of joy here is blamelessness, readiness for judgment. Yes, yeah, so the difference that they have to the world, meaning their blamelessness through Christ, is the source and ultimate. the righteousness is the source of that joy. And then in verse 18, <coughs> he gives a likewise. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. I think these details and context are important to consider because Paul's saying, first he said that he was rejoicing despite that he was being poured out. Uh, like a drink offering, being sacrificed. But now he's telling them to be joyful in the same regard. That they shouldn't, part, part of this, I believe, is that they shouldn't look at Paul's sacrifice and just throw their arms up and say, oh, what's going on? Everything's terrible. The world's gone to pot. This is, this is awful. That's not how Paul looks at his sacrifice. He doesn't want them to look at his sacrifice like that either. Um, and so tells them to be glad and rejoice. I think both of these are not only about them not being discouraged by Paul's sacrifice, but also going back to both John and Brent's comments that related back to the rejoicing that they are blameless um, because of the righteousness of, of Christ um, and, and what he blesses them with. Any other comments here about uh, rejoicing or joy in these two in chapter 2. Alright, let's go on to the, the next ones. Um, we'll do um, really this is three lines. So you should have 228, 229 and 3 verse 1. We're going to do all three of those together. Uh, they should be the next ones on your sheet. Uh, and we'll take uh, just a couple minutes for you guys to look at those uh, and then we'll talk some more. So 228, 229 And three verse one. All right. I think the details and context of twenty-eight and twenty-nine are basically the same. So let's talk about those together. So what's the what's the context here as Paul's talking about joy and rejoicing in twenty-eight and twenty-nine? All right, so what Crystal said is he's talking about them sending Epaphroditus to him. Also, you could argue about him sending Timothy and Epaphroditus back to them as well. That's the the context. In order to serve Paul, they sent Epaphroditus. And then in order for Paul to serve them, he's going to send Timothy. There's a bunch of sending and going in this. Um, I think in 28 and 29, these are two different causes for joy. That's why I've listed them separately. So in 28, why should they be joyful, the Philippians? They're back. Yeah, they're receiving their, well, yeah, first he didn't die. That's good. Um, he didn't die, but then also because they're receiving their brother back, right? They, essentially, when he enters your assembly, you should be joyful because your brother is back with you. Uh, and then verse 29 gives a slightly different reason for them to be joyful. And what's that? Yeah, so, so now they, need, they should be joyful and rejoice because of Epaphroditus' faithfulness. And says that they should honor such men like him, such servants like him. So there's, there's rejoicing because our friend is with us. That's That's kind of one set here in 28 and 29. But distinct from that is the joy and rejoicing they should have for all men who are completing works of service like Epaphroditus did. It just so happens that they have a close loved one who's providing this example for them. Um, You could also say in the context of what's in chapter 2, who else potentially should they honor in such a way also when they receive him? Which yeah, Timothy. You should honor and receive Timothy in the same in the same way. Great. All right, three, verse one. What do you think the details and context are here? This one's a little bit. I don't even say harder. But what I wrote down. I'm interested to see what other people have. Is it's it's really sandwiched between um, two examples. One is the example of Epaphroditus, and the other is, I'm going to say like an anti-hero, the anti-example of Paul, right? He, he, um, he details all these ways in which he shouldn't be joyful, all these reasons he shouldn't be joyful, um, and so kind of a, a hero and an anti-hero, an example and an anti-example is what's this sandwich between. Um, and then, what do you think the source or the cause of, of Paul's joy um, in telling them to rejoice is? In verse one, you've got to look a lot further down in chapter three to get it. Just as a hint, look at nine through twelve. Yeah, Paul's looking ahead towards the end, towards salvation. And why does he get access to salvation? Verses 9 and 10 especially. us: Through faith in Christ, not by anything that I have done, but the righteousness that comes to me through Christ. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's source for joy here, and the joy that he hopes they will have, is a result of the fact that they will be able to do things like take part in the resurrection, share in sufferings, and become like Christ. yeah, I look further. I agree with you. I don't disagree with that at all. But I look at verse 17, so he, sam- like you said, he sandwiched this verse 1 between examples of Epaphroditus and maybe Timothy, and then he has these evildoers. And then in verse 17, he says, Brothers and sisters, join and follow in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern mm. without us. His joy is and there should be in people like Epaphroditus and Timothy among themselves. Look for its I think that's great. Fantastic. All right. Any other comments about joy in chapter three? I saw this last part a little bit. differently. I Maybe mean, it doesn't take away from all of the previous iterations that he's gone through, all points of this. You can't take any of which others. They don't exist without this final piece. So yeah. He this. That, so he's this. And like, building a pyramid that he's coming up to, the point of that is, yeah, that's great. So the entire book points towards this section and that, that rejoicing and joy come because we have hope and because we can look towards becoming like Christ. So I think everything that you've said already. they can't have confidence. It's not the flesh. It's in Christ. So it's about forming their identity too. There's joy in knowing who you are and having confidence in that. Yeah, and I, I think we talked about this when we talked about that chapter. I think the conversation about identity here is especially important because the Philippians, a huge part of their identity is who they were in the empire of Rome. They were essentially a mini-Rome and they were supposed to take pride in the fact that they were Roman citizens, even though they weren't in Rome. It's like this outpost, um, and so he's encouraging them essentially to give up one identity and embrace the other, um, which is which is a part of that joy. All right, let's look at chapter four. We'll do the same thing for four one and four four. If you have time, you can look at the first question uh, below the table as well. I give you that op- option. Alright, what y'all notice about uh, details or context, cause or source of 4 verse 1? Paul says, my joy and my crown. You got Alan? I got the details. He's focused on others and the others being people. And the cause is that they're strengthened. So he rejoices in the fact Yeah, I think the details or context are about his relationship with them. Therefore, I love and long for you. Um I think this is. In some of the version where it says, yearn for you. Um, and then I think you got to look backwards just a couple of verses to see the cause or source. Where it says, our citizenship is in heaven. We await the Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. They are Paul's joy and crown because Christ is transforming them into um, something more glorious like himself. Yeah, yeah. so um, as someone who's in jail, suffering, being punished for his work in many ways, part of his joy is that he can look and see that he's not in jail for no purpose. He's not suffering for no reason. That's why they're, they're part of his joy and crown. It's great. What about 4, 4 verse 4? In some ways, this is the hardest one, and it's the one we quote the most. Um, and and I, I would say the context is he's just kind of introducing the final words of the, of the book. It's this final exhortation, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then there's 20 verses of all of these reasons that you should be able to do that. You're filled with the peace of God. You don't have anxieties. Um, you're leaning on Christ, um, so on and so forth. Um, so hopefully you got a minute to think about the, um, that first question or, or comment summarizing the causes or sources uh, from above. So I think you can group them into a couple categories. Um, wh- what do you guys see those as? What are the causes or sources of joy if you try to boil down these, call it 10 verses um, into a couple, a couple categories? Would you say, John? We don't have to rely on ourselves. All right, we don't have to rely on ourselves. All right, the gospel spread. So certainly, a lot of these relate to purely that the gospel is being spread, and often that con- concept is contrasted with, "I Paul am suffering," but because the gospel is being spread, I am filled with joy. Would you say, John? Again, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Other categories of, call it all ten of these. Yes, sir? Yeah, so joy that comes from working with others who are serving the Lord. That's great, and that joy is reciprocal, right? There's joy in the, call it the primary servant, <laughs> that, that Paul maybe has as he's working with them. But then also the joy that that others get in working with that that servant, for example, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, right? It's like this circular benefit that goes back and forth, both giving joy to one another. Any others? Yeah, so a lot of those, as Brent said, is um, Paul is rejoicing or encouraging others to rejoice about the faithfulness of others. Essentially, my heart is filled with joy because you are embracing Christ. Because the gospel is taking root in others. So there's, depending on how you count, there's three or four, I think, in here. Um, I'll just summarize them again as I see them. Relationships with others faithfulness of others, sharing in support of the gospel, and then call it just maybe even more generally, joy isn't about me. Joy is about others in nearly every case. The only time that joy is about me here is when it's about my salvation. That's the only only reason I have joy about myself is that I'm saved. All of the other joy that Paul or the Philippians were filled with was about others, Um, uh, and and what they're doing. Which is a direct contrast to today. Everything's about self in today's world and making things joyful for yourself. Yeah, so um, two quick studies I've uh, listened to some news reports on. One's about centenarians, folks that make it to 100 or over. Scattered around the globe, there are these things called blue zones. And those blue zones are basically places where there's a statistically significant difference in how often people live to 100. Um, Interestingly, the one that's hard to replicate is the number one indicator of if you're gonna live to over 100 is how steep, not the altitude, but how steep um, where you're living is. So like how much up and down elevation do you have to go in order to live? There's probably a health argument there, right? Um, that one's a little bit harder to, to affect unless you're gonna move, so, you know, move somewhere that's got a lot of elevation change, I guess, um, but, but the interesting thing is when they studied centenarians, folks that make it to 100, they found that in, in every case, the second most likely thing to impact whether or not someone lives to over 100 is how much they're caring for others. So if you leave grandparents and great grandparents in the home and they are caring for the children and helping to raise them, caring for the family in different ways, they're significantly more likely to live to over 100 than if they are separated from the family and, and for example, put in nursing homes. Um, It's very interesting. Or if they live on their own, not just nursing homes, but if they live on their own, but they're not really called to care for others, much less likely to live to over 100 Interesting, some interesting facts there, right? Um, I think related to some of the the topics on joy. um, You can go look that up on NPR uh, if you're interested. Um, Another one that I listened to on NPR, this was about two weeks ago, is there have been numerous studies, the largest of which had over 700 people in it, where they gave them, they gave those people money. Half the group was told to buy something for themselves half the group was told to buy something for others, and then they gauged those people's happiness. By the way, I don't think happiness and joy are equal, but we're not gonna get into that debate here. Um, in, in every case, statistically, the people that used the money they were given to buy for others were happier uh, more immediately after they did the thing, and for longer than those who bought something for themselves. Um, I, I think we cannot underestimate the importance that living a joyful life is related to how we live with those around us and how we serve them. Paul would tell us that joy comes from service to others, faithfulness in others, and how we consider ourselves in the gospel and salvation. Thanks, y'all.